It's only a kick. A jump. A block. It's only a serve. It's only a tackle. A run. It's only for the fans. After all, it's only pressure. You got this. Adidas. Another day is here, and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch, and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDIC. This episode is brought to you by Shopify. Whether you're selling a little or a lot, Shopify helps you do your thing, however you cha-ching. From the launch your online shop stage, all the way to the we just hit a million orders stage. No matter what stage you're in, Shopify's there to help you grow. Sign up for a $1 per month trial period at shopify.com slash special offer, all lowercase. That's shopify.com slash special offer. Rakuten is the online shopping platform that rewards you for shopping. They are the smartest way to shop and save with cash back when you shop at thousands of merchants. You can earn cash back at over 3,500 merchants. You can shop merchants in every single category, like fashion, beauty, electronics, dining, and so much more. You can even earn cash back on subscription services and travel. Membership is free, and it's super simple to sign up. Once you are signed up and start shopping, Rakuten deposits your cash back directly into your PayPal account, or they can even send you a check. Rakuten already has 15 million members who are saving. It's a no-brainer. Earn cash back while you shop. Start all of your shopping trips at Rakuten.com or get the Rakuten app and start saving today. Mirror man, mirror man. You twist and turn my mind until I don't know who I am. Mirror man. Good morning and welcome to a three-part, not three-part, three-people podcast. I'm here with Ash. Hey, mate. I'm here with Matt. Hi, Pete. How you doing, guys? How you doing? Great to have you back on the show. Great to be here. Indeed. Shame there's nothing to talk about. It's yeah, it's, it's a shame we're really scraping uh we're really scraping the barrels today. Um because there isn't a lot to talk about. But actually I would say that it's been um a fairly hectic week. Um lots of news related to football in general, uh lots of news related to Arsenal um specifically, and we're starting to uh like get a bit more of an understanding of what's gonna come out the back end. So um today I think we are going to tackle um, the Arsenal pay cuts uh, on, on what they mean and how how they've come about and you know what we make of like who said yes and who said no. Um, we're going to talk about the Obama Yang contract because he looked like a dead cert to leave and uh, if his dad is to believe uh, to be believed, maybe he's staying on. Um, then we're going to talk about the shape of football um, when uh, a chairman as reckless as Woodward is saying that you know the, the transfer prices being mooted are. Uh, fantastical then you know that the game is in trouble and then if we've got enough time we can talk a little bit um, about 
uh, Arsenal of old and you know what hope do we have coming out the back end of this uh, does that sound good but before we get into that how is everybody mentally how are you how, how's everybody holding up um, during this time doing alright I'm having my uh, morning shot of bleach every day and uh, standing uh, standing outside in the rays getting myself immunised you know? do you drink the bleach or do you just inject it straight into the brain into the veins it depends what mood I'm in to be fair Sometimes I'll do a shot. Sometimes I'll do it straight through the eye. Other times I'll inject. Nice. I'm glad. I'm glad that you're being careful, um, Matt. How uh, how are you coping? Uh, hold up with uh, with a with a newborn, newish born. Yeah, I'm feeling good. Um, but you know, unprecedented. <laughs> That's the favourite word, isn't it? But it does make you uh, yearn for simpler days when you could just imagine going to watch Arsenal play and uh, it made me I was thinking about it the other day that whilst there is coronavirus there is no possible way that you could ever have pre-match drinks at the Tottenham can you imagine how contagious that place would be if coronavirus was at full tilt oh my god people would be going you could affect half of North London in the 15 minutes before kickoff. Yeah, I know it's crazy. Do you do you guys? You know, there's a real lack of football in everybody's lives at the moment, and I think there are two realizations that I've had. Number one, I spend too much of too much of my life focused on football, or maybe not. Um, and uh, number two, I need a, a another. I, I need a coronavirus or a pandemic hobby. Um, what have you guys outside of drinking been filling your time with? Where, where, where what do you what do you fill the void? Yeah. Um, it's, it's weird to think, you know, uh, 10 weeks ago, I was actually in the Che Guevara having pretty much drinks, uh, because it was too busy in the tolly because it was raining. And, um, actually we talk about the lack of sport, but I think the lack of interaction around sport is actually quite critical as well. But, uh, in answer to your question, um, don't laugh, but I have taken up a hobby I had, uh, when I was much younger, uh, and I'm making airfix kids. You're making an airfix kit, did you say? Yeah, yeah, building modern wow. aircraft. Wow, it's quite, it's quite, you know, focused. It's smart, quite dexterous to do, to do that. That's uh, fiddly. Yeah, I'm not, I'm not, I'm not taking up anything too complicated so far. I've got what, a Spitfire, a Messerschmitt, and a uh, the the bigger one will be the Lancaster bomber. Ooh, very nice, uh, Matt. Are you there doing you anything as 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 creative as that? I'm not, but I'll tell you what, I'm really enjoying a particular show uh, on TV. Uh, the Last Dance, the, Michael, the Chicago Bulls and Michael Jordan specifically. Oh, I haven't started that yet. Oh, yeah, I've, I'm waiting for that. I'm kind of one of you stacked because I don't want to wait week in, week out. It's, it's one of, it's, I'm going to go out on a limb and say it's the best sports documentary I've ever seen. Oh, that's a big call. That is a very big call. <laughs> Yeah, so good. Are you saying are you saying it's better than Arsene Wenger's magic hat? <laughs> and, uh, if, if I take myself out of my my position as an Arsenal fan, then yeah, it's a, it's a better piece of content. The, um, wasn't, the wasn't clip goal, clip goal, clip goal. The the ESPN documentaries on sport are phenomenal. I I watched um I watched the Tommy Morrison. 30 for 30. Have you seen that? The guy who yeah. was in Rocky Five. It's yeah. it's so fucked up. It's it's so yeah. fucked up. Um if you like 
if you like your American football, another one on ESPN is um, <clears throat> the story of the story of the uh, uh, the two balls, uh, which is Bill Parcells and Bill Belichick, who famously, very good. Very good. famously coached the Giants together, then fell out massively when they got to the Jets. Haven't spoken since, and they do this documentary. They're all full of praise for one another, and at the end of it, they're doing these uh, promo photographs and Bill Parcells says, what do you want? You've had us for two hours and then just walks out the room. It's like, <laughs> it's insane. But if you want to get an insight into coach, coaching mindsets, I have to say it's one of the most fascinating things I've ever seen. Hey, I've heard the Amazon uh, Spurs um, uh, film of the year is going to be fantastic. Yeah, I, I, I can't wait for that. Apparently they had the cameras in the room when they fired Pochettino. It's going to be... 26 cameras in the room and they fired him. Game five in 26 different views. Oh, get get take take me to that. Take me to that. I'm looking forward to that. Okay, all right. The argue, one of the arguments there, all joking aside, was that Potch had asked for some more cameras or drones for training, and uh, the club said they couldn't afford them. And he got them off the Amazon guys, and then he got fired a week later. So who knows? Yeah, that was one of Mikel Arteta's first asks about getting drones into the training ground. Oh, yeah. That was a great clip, wasn't it? When he was going through the data room. Ah. Yeah, man. Mikel. Mikel, indeed. Okay. All right. Enough of the idle chit-chat. We're just going to dive right into the mixer today, and we're going to start talking about the Arsenal pay cuts. Um, So uh, the world of football has changed um, Arsenal uh, make a match day revenue of about 96 million a year. That's gone. Um, there is the potential that we might lose 37 and a half million um, in TV revenue. So the club has ad- has had to act, and uh, they've gone to the players and they've asked for a, a 12 and a half percent pay cut. And I just wanted to find out first of all, guys. They're like, you know, what do we make? of Arsenal asking uh, millionaire footballers to take uh, a pay cut. Like, what's the top line on this? Because a lot of fans are saying when you've got a billionaire owner, like Stan Kroenke, he should be putting, um, he should be putting his hand in his pocket. I, I, look, I think if you're going to ask the players, then the owner's got to put his hand up as well. <clears throat> it's all well and good that they're foregoing whatever they're foregoing. But the reality is what they are entitled to contractually is a drop in the ocean in comparison to player salaries, right? But this also goes to show that in the long term, football is going to have to make itself more sustainable. And it lives three-year cycle to three-year cycle on rights and player contracts. You don't really get contracts that are more than three to four years anyway. And um, I think they've got to build a sustainable position. I do think Kroenke needs to, to think about this and dip his hands in. But I dare say, like most of these billionaires in the world, they probably haven't got access to the readies kind of sitting there. It's all locked up. It's all invested. It's probably leveraged debt at some level and a bunch of things. I think um, I think the club's approach to trying to be um, consultative and open with people and trying to be inclusive to get feedback seems to have been a way better approach than some of the other clubs that have been out there. Um uh, it's but again, you know, it's hard. I think I think the PFA has been notably absent. I think I think the, the problems of the PFA just mean it's useless. While Gordon Taylor is still in charge, 
when a man is just an absolute joke. But um, uh, there's no right answer to this, and there's a lot of wrong answers. And I don't think we've hit the wrong answer yet, which I suppose is something for us. Yeah, if Stan Kroenke's good at anything, it's uh, making sure that the, the corners are cut at uh, uh, rapid pace. Um, my uh, my view, just before we go over to you, Matt, what, like, I, so I understand that uh, you know, a billionaire would be expected to put his hand in his pocket uh, to help the poor millionaires that are going to have to lose 12.5% of their salary. But my, my view is that Arsenal fans can't have it both ways. Uh, Stan Kroenke famously took three million out of the club um, a few years ago in consultancy fees. Uh, the AST every season since then as well. No, he he didn't. He he stopped. Like he did. He, they they never did it again after. Uh, well, I after, thought they did. No, the club. Um, but the AST kicked off. It was in the back pages of all the newspapers that he was taking out of the club. So we we pretty much put a kibosh on Stan Kroenke withdrawing from the club, which is absolutely correct. He's always worked on the sustainable business model. Um, if you're going to push a sustainable business model, you really shouldn't be taking out fees that you, you absolutely don't need to. So on the one hand, we're saying that we want to be run like a business. We don't want to be run like Chelsea. And then things go wrong. And then Stan Kroenke steps in and he fixes the business problem within the world of the sustainable business model. And that means cutting salaries. Uh, and because everybody in the real world has had to deal with this. So the the idea that... Um, the idea that he should all of a sudden be putting his hand in his pocket to bail out footballers feels a bit off. Matt, what do you what do you think of that? I think the interesting thing that we've got to think about is how long do we think this is going to go on for? Because you've got to look at it in the context of 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 all people. So are we looking at this in the context of the season is a write-off? and everything will be back to normal for the next season? Or are we looking at it within the context of this is the new normal, everything has changed, we don't really know? Because it depends what you, how you're looking at it that affects what you think the right or the wrong decision to be made is. Because I personally think that if what we're, if what we're saying is we don't know how this season's going to end, but everything's going to be back to normal by August for the start of the next season, then I personally don't think the players should take any pay cut. I think that the club have made enough money over the years to weather a three-month disappearance of revenue, just like every, every other business. I'm a business owner. My business is losing three three, four, five, however many months of revenue, I'm not asking my the people in my business to take a pay cut because uh, I want to support them. And I see that as a role of business to try and do that for a short period of time. The question is, if it's a longer term thing, in which case, well, you have to start making these decisions. But what's the club's stance? Like, is it a three-month thing? Is it a six-month thing? Um, if you're a footballer, is there a concern that football just won't get back to normal again? You'll never see the wages that you'll ever get. And actually, they do require like a, a far greater degree of financial prudence starting right now because, you know, the, the, the years of revenue ahead of them that they thought they were going to get have now, been, have now just disappeared. 
what's your perspective on that? Because I think a, a, a big business should be able to deal with what is in effect three months of salary. Yeah, I think that's a reasonable thing to ask, actually. I think if when you put that lens on it, that's absolutely fair. And I think we are in a unique position that we do have a business model that we have stuck to. I don't think Cronky deserves any credit for that. I think we've always had that model uh, at the club. Um, what I think is interesting is when you bring it into the broader context is, great, Arsenal can weather the storm, Chelsea could weather the storm, City can clearly weather the storm unless the petrol literally does run out. Um, but, you know, the smaller clubs out there really are going to suffer. And the reality is, do we want a strong 20-team Premier League? And everybody kind of always forgets, because we talk about the Premier League a lot, and we're very privileged, there are 72 other clubs there that really, there's going to be some that don't make it. So I think the overall picture is the... Um, is the one that, uh, Matt, your point's completely right and fair. If you can't finish what you're doing, the broadcasters can't generate revenue to pay for the games that they're supposed to have. Uh, where does that leave you? Um, and there's no right answer in this because what's written in a contract, you know, has to be honoured. Ultimately. So, you know, these pay cuts are ultimately voluntary. So I think that is I think it is apparent that football is not going to go back to normal and we'll cover that in a in a in a later part. I think Arsenal will take in a long-term view and the execs put their money where their mouths are um and they took they've taken a deferral of 33% for um for a year. So it's it's happening throughout the club. Um the the next question I, the next topic that I wanted to like to touch I, on is is sorry Ash I, there's a smaller point here, which is it's great to talk about the first team squad. You also need to protect the other 80-odd players that you've got from the age of eight all the way through where we're providing schooling and instruction. And, you know, if you're a 15-year-old and you're on our books and you're a scholar, we're paying for you to make sure you get your GCSEs. And the, the, if you don't make it, there is a career for you afterwards. Um, and I know you said we may reminisce later, but one of the things that's become very apparent in the last sort of two years is sort of when Wenger started, the playing staff was about 40 or 50 people tops, you know, and that included the tea lady and the, the catering staff at London Colney. Now you've got a back office operation of four or 500 people. And actually those people really do need the help and protection, right? It's not just about the guys on 300 grand a week. Yeah, and I think the club has done a really good job of making sure that they're protected and yeah. even the casual staff are, are protected. So I think, you know, part of that um, salary deduction has gone into uh, making sure that um, the people exactly. who aren't fabulously wealthy um, are kept on. And I think the Arsenal moved, Arsenal moved relatively quickly. Um, and I, I guess it's, uh, I guess it's, uh, uh, you know, it's, it's, it's a real preference on whether you think the, the, the players taking cuts was right or wrong. I think my bigger concern is that what you can ask people to take a cut once, um, is if, if, if this, um, malaise is ongoing and we're stuck in this pandemic for longer, 12%, 12.5% is probably not going to be enough. Um, I, I know that in, yeah. in, in the Spanish leagues, they took, you know, Atleti, Sevilla, 
um, Barcelona players took 70% pay cuts. And uh, th- that was under a specific law, an emergency law that allows all businesses to enact that sort of uh, pay cut. But, Club- but clubs in Spain are also slightly differently set up. They are set up as not necessarily as profit-making businesses, right? They're set up as sporting clubs with ownership, with a fan structure as, as well as... Um, uh, I think Atleti is uh, is owned by uh, yeah, the, billionaires. There are a few clubs in, it is, but there are very few clubs in Spain that are. If you know what I mean. And, ba- and Barcelona is uh, the Barcelona were on to break a billion in revenue uh, this year, and that's all that's all in tatters. But anyway, regardless, the point um, the point is that Barcelona have enacted seventy percent pay cuts, as have a lot of clubs in Spain. Uh, Juventus players took uh, an eighty-one million pound reduction across the board to keep the club going, and uh, Roma players took a forty percent deferral uh, for the next four months. Uh, have Arsenal underplayed their hand? Like twelve and a half percent seems relatively small, um, considering what's potentially coming. Like, what, do you, do you see? Um, do you We've see this being a problem? Highest- Fifth highest wage bill in Europe, something like that. It's so, obscene, yeah. It's um, two hundred and thirty yeah, I mean, so million. That's probably true. I think, yeah. I think that the, it's they've done exactly what a lot of people have done, which is when we all went into lockdown, we thought that it was for two weeks, most of us. Uh, on on the day, and then a week later, we thought it was a month. And then a week later, we thought it was going to be a couple of months. And now we have we, none of us have any idea. We're just is pure speculation as to when we'll be back. And when the negotiations started for pay reductions, and it's a highly sensitive nature, you know, you you probably thought that was going to be enough. And now it's barely barely a dent. Um, so yeah, I don't think it's going to make any difference. It, it, I mean, to be honest, it feels like a symbolic gesture rather than a gesture that's really going to make any long-term impact on uh, the, the balance sheet. Yeah, I agree. I think it's also a bit of a reaction to the clubs that have got it wrong. I mean, Spurs hilariously cocked that up, didn't they? As, did, as did Liverpool. As did Liverpool. And then Liverpool followed. I mean, like, that shocked me completely. Um, I, from what I heard, it was a clock resignation issue. They were like, if you do this, I'm out of here. This isn't what I believe in all the values of the club. Um, I think the interesting thing is we talked about Spain, we talked about Italy, France is in a similar position. Germany seems to be in a, and again, you know, the cost of football in Germany and all the economics in Germany are very, very different to the rest of Europe. And they seem to be in a, well, apart from the fact they seem to be handling the crisis properly out of any country, which is somewhat frustrating. But um, they seem to be on a better footing in the way they're handling, or maybe we're just not hearing as much news about it. I, don't know. I think I think that, that that's um, you know a, a subject we should broach is like the they have a more egalitarian system in in Germany, and uh, your point earlier about the the seventy two other clubs that you have to worry about uh, the the top German clubs basically you know gave away a chunk of their Champions League money to support the Bundesliga t- two clubs. And you you wonder how the Germans can get to an agreement so quickly, and no one's kicking up a fuss. And the Premier League players can barely, you know, muster an an, an NHS fund. Uh, you know, we still not heard what's come of that. Uh, Liverpool players are kicking off about taking pay pay cuts. Um, Arsenal players drag their feet um, to get there. And do, do you think it's as simple as you know these clubs in Germany are fan owned? 
Um, and like German players are much more um, appreciative of the fans and there's much more of a connection. I know Granite Jack has said the other week, you know, you had a bad, a bad game when you played for Borussia Mönchengladbach, you go to the training ground and you thrash it out with the, with the fans because they'd all be allowed to see. And there's a, a bigger disconnection and it's, it's easier to, um, to not play ball or feel part of a community when you're cocooned away from everybody. Like, is it, is it like, is the bigger question, why is the Premier League struggling um, to, to deal with pay cuts in a way that it, it appears the rest of Europe isn't? Uh, look, the Premier League is the richest league in the world. It's the most watched. It's got the highest TV value internationally and nationally. All of those kind of good things, right? It's got the top talent in the world. It's where everybody is. I think if you're a player, the challenge is, because you don't, and it goes back to the point that you, you made, Matt, which is if you don't know at the moment, as far as they're concerned, well, the TV money should still happen. The season may still be finished and we may still get our win bonuses and everything should be okay. The only thing you've lost out is on four home games so far, right? So um, it's, I, I think a lot of this is different people having different reactions based on circumstances which are not very clear yet. And I think um, I think it's important to set out a marker that this is going to be something that has to either be thought about or happen or whatever it might be. I also like to think that sort of clubs like Arsenal have some decency where if it does come back and it's all okay, they'll figure out a mechanism to make everybody whole again. Um, but, you know, it's not like we're getting rebates on our season tickets right now, is it? No. Um, Matt, what, what, um, why do you think the Germans get it right i mean is is this something that we can learn from or is the uh has the has the shark jumped <laughs> well i don't think that that's the correct terminology but you get you get as the horse bolted that's the one that's the one the sh- jumping the shark is something different um but matt whichever way you want to answer that question horses sharks look i think it's um Ultimately, when it comes to how the, a lot of these decisions get made, it's all based on herd mentality. And, you know, it's... Isn't, uh, that, isn't that how this all started? Isn't this, uh, yeah, you, mentality or immunity? Where, where are we going? This is the wrong podcast for immunity, Matt. <laughs> but, you know, it's no surprising that Kalatinak and Mustafi and Ozil are all in the, and Obama Yang, although those three are all in the same because they've all been sat around playing Fortnite and got themselves wound up while eating too much Haribo or something and, and decided that this is the most insane idea. And I think, um, I think just it, the, the reaction, the sort of the starting point in the Premier League was it's, I think it's, I'll start again. When you, when people get backed into a corner, then more often than not, they don't, they don't back down. They come out swinging. And a lot of the media and a lot of the rhetoric towards footballers was that they are spoiled, overpaid, behave poorly, outrageous, all that sort of stuff. And when you get that delivered to you, you'd be surprised. It's designed to antagonize and it's designed to elicit a certain reaction because you want them to rebel, to rebel and shut. It was designed for footballers to behave exactly how they're doing, and they got exactly what they deserve. It's also uh, different to to any ordinary business, where actually the most highly paid individuals are the people running the organisation, not the other way around. 
Yeah. And th- when you look at it from that perspective, sure, the, the executive team have taken all these deferrals or whatever. It's a drop in the ocean. I think that, you know, the um, for, for those that don't read the blog every day, lacrove.co.uk, there's a hyphen between the, um, the E and the G. Uh, I, I wrote a story at the weekend that the, the players that are kicking up the biggest fuss when it came to the um, the reductions in salary were uh, Mesut Ozil, Obama Yang, uh, Kalasanak, and uh, Mustafi. The interesting thing about the, it being those three, uh, and I assume Mkhitaryan because, you know, he's on a phenomenal salary as well. The interesting thing is that on the one hand, I'm like, the Germans, they get it right. But as, as soon as the players leave and come to the Premier League, that uh, you know that community spirit got, goes out the window, and maybe it is because Meza has all, all three of those players, uh, four or five, uh, have been pilloried in the in the press. You know, Obama Yang and his I, and his Jeep, Mikatarian for being um, shit. Mustafi. I think Meza's got fair coverage out this because I think a few of the more quality publications have actually said. Well, firstly, he hasn't said no. He's holding back, right? And his his view is a bit like what Matt said. Hang on, let me wait and see what's happening first here before I sign away my life or anything like that. I don't think that's unfair. Um, it kind of is, think, though, isn't it? Is it? It's, it's, it's like twenty twenty two of the squad, and he's like, I just want to check this financial data. It's like, get <laughs> fucked. You're playing on Fortnite while you're racking in those pound notes. Yeah, yeah. I'm, not, I'm not saying that's not true. Um, I do think the others have got slightly different positions. I think Kalasinac knows he's never going to earn this kind of money again. Yeah, absolutely. Right? He came to us on a free, uh-huh. massive paycheck. If he doesn't stay, he's not going to get a massive payday because he's going to have to take a drop in salary because there's going to be a transfer fee involved. Yeah. I think, I think Aubameyang is protecting his position because he's got a year left on his contract. I absolutely believe that. And wh- why wouldn't he? I mean, as an individual, right? Yeah. If it was down to you, you, you kind of do want to protect your self-interest. Um, but there we go. I think you can see the reasoning in it com- all. This right? is a conversation. If, yeah, you can. I, and it's human reaction. That's everybody's human. You know, they've all got different advisors and different people telling them what's what and what's not. Here's the thing for me. I think if this happened 20 years ago, I don't even think it's a. I think the players would have volunteered it. I think if it was Tony Adams, he'd have been around the dressing room, opening everyone's wallets, taking their cash out, and giving it to the ball boys. <laughs> Quite literally, probably in a really menacing way. You can imagine every agent going, you know, the problem you've got is that if you accept a lower wage, then the next time it comes to contract negotiations, yeah, that's your baseline, and everyone knows you can do it. Mezzet's 31, he's got one big contract left in him. Ober's turning 30, he's got one big contract left in him. And they don't want to devalue their, 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 their kind of, you know, their, um, you know, the hate, you know, the hate, their, their, their last well, hurrah. We so. can, we can talk about, we'll talk about Obama Ying, um, in a little bit, but Meza Ozil has, uh, has a bigger problem because, he is not the player that he once was. He's had a terrible three years. There are questions over his commitment uh, to just being a footballer uh, nowadays. He's pissed off China. He's pissed off Germany. And it doesn't matter how many charities you put your money towards. I think the um, the chairman and scouts uh, with you know tight budgets are going to be looking at him and saying, 
do I want to bring in a player that's going to be a mega money earner who is definitely going to refuse to be a team player if we go into round two of this pandemic? And so I think he's got to worry about what his next contract is going to be. But I think the the second part is he's got to worry a little bit about brand Ozil. You know, like this isn't... Uh, Are you saying you know, that the Mesut pissing off China calls this virus is what you're saying, basically? <laughs> I'm, 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 I'm saying... I, I, no, did, I didn't want to say this. I didn't want to say this. I know everyone's going to turn around and say this because it's also partially true as a big Mesut apologist. But I, I, I do fundamentally have an issue with this, and it's happened to me in my career, where your employer defines what charitable causes you should support and how you should support them. And my answer is, fuck you, it's my money. And if I do things for charity, I'll do things that matter to me, not that matter to you. And I'm not saying that the cause is any different or any more valuable or any more less worth worth any less. That's fine. Now, if it's part of his contract, he goes to go and see kids in hospital, that's fantastic, right? He's given his time, which is as valuable as anything else. Um, so... From I think those things, the softer things like that, I think are, are hard to kind of throw into the mix here. Um, but you're right. What I would, you almost want to see something more along the lines of, um, like there's been two or three fantastic stories, and none of them have been about players in football and how things have reacted. And I'm sure there are some, and I've not read them, and that's fine. But as much as I hate the bloke, David Moyes going out and doing local grocery delivery for his greengrocer because old people need groceries. That's good. You know, Watford, despite getting all that crap wrong about furloughing people, and I know this well because my father was in and out of hospital a lot and I grew up around sort of not far from that bit, but Vicarage Road is next door to Watford General Hospital. They have turned that entire area into like the, the boxes are a maternity unit they're serving a thousand meals to hospital staff. The stands are open for staff to go and get away from work because they can socially distance and sit three seats apart. That's the kind of stuff you want to see. But again, there's no player saying, do you know what? I'm going to go in there and I'm going to go and help out. I'm amazed that Troy Deeney's not part of that. Yeah. Troy, Deeney, Troy Deeney's double suite has been taken over. But um, yeah, yeah. But that, but that's a, also the, the fact that do you really want Troy Deeney in your delivery? Speech? But I think the, I think that that's the um, the crutch the Meza is using to prop himself up is that you know he does he does nice stuff for for charity. Okay, but this isn't uh, this isn't a charitable ask. This is you know are you willing to prop up your club? Yeah. And my my well, my concern and your, club and your and your colleagues. Right? Yeah. Because the people that train him, the people that feed him, the people that you know park his car or wash it in the car park or rely on that money to go home and feed their families and their kids and I think that's the thing that, that that sometimes the players may have lost perspective on I do think by the way that that the media went after footballers in a completely irrational unfair way um, there are plenty of other people they could have said the same thing about they've almost become the bankers overnight sort of 12 years later so, Matt, the the thing that I was pondering, and I wasn't sure whether to say this because people are like, oh, it's not the same, it's not the same is that I was wondering whether Meza Ozil could almost Colin Kaepernick himself. And I know Kaepernick was standing up for a, a very different cause, but basically it all came down to, you know, bending the knee ended up costing NFL owners, uh, you know, 
an audience supposedly and you know the, the wrath of um of Donald Trump maybe there's a similar situation here and you know not quite as um you know like Meza Ozil not putting his hand in his pocket and refusing do you could could you see a situation where he really damages his ability to move to uh, another club no no i think uh, there are so many clubs love to have Mesut Ozil. And, yeah, and uh, I think he's already done that bit, by the way. He's uh, and like, with his ex- with his exit from the German national team, right? I mean, there's no way he's going to go and play for a German club. No, he's going to Germany. Oh, sorry, Turkey. He's going to Turkey with Yeah, one of the two, and and he'll, he'll go relatively soon, and. Uh, it'll be a, like a extended vacation. Wonderful. Um, yeah, Meza, bless him. I mean, he gets a bit of an unfair rap a lot of the time, I think. It's I, think I also think he's playing a lot better. I think we've forgotten that because it's been relatively recent and not a long enough run of games since, since our boy took over, so... So okay, we're we're going to sell Meza Özil this summer. He's going to be disgraced, and then we'll see whether he gets anywhere near that three hundred and fifty thousand a week that he's been getting. So we'll move on to uh, the next topic of uh, contractual uh, of a contractual nature, and that is uh, Obama Yang. Um, it appears that uh, the African parents um, are um, just as embarrassing as everybody else. Um, Thomas Partey's dad trapping off in the media last week saying that son wanted to come to Arsenal. That was apparently not true. And then uh, a few days later, uh, uh, Obama Ying's dad said, signed the thing. And uh, we haven't heard any denials yet, but it does appear that, um, that his family want him to sign on with Arsenal. What does this say about Arsenal? Yeah, I, I don't know. I don't, I don't think strictly. Well, his, dad's a, his dad's also a former pro. As is his brother. I think one of them is managing him. So, I think we should, you think we should sell him? I think, we should, I think we'll sell Lacazette and keep Aubameyang. I think we should. I think we should sell him by completely rebuild. So you're not. I'm not. I'm not. I'm not averse to that. I, I, I mean, he's great. He's never put a foot wrong as an Arsenal player, in my opinion. We haven't had a player that scored thirty goals a season for God knows how long, and he's just turned up and done it. And he just deserves all of our respect. But if coronavirus is going to be a leveller then I think we should take this opportunity and do a total rebuild uh, I think we've got some great young players coming through I think we just need to make it work I think Eddie should just be playing up front like we saw enough from here that for him to, to step into that role it might take him it'll definitely be a transition year but, but if he can get 12-15 in his first year and 20 after that then it's worth and you got, and, and, you got Mark- and you've got Martinelli there as well. you got Martinelli, and I think let's use the forces of change to, you know, a lot of people are saying that what, depending on, on, on what you read, it's what coronavirus is really doing is just accelerating existing trends. And we've talked for a long time around um, where Arsenal should go, focusing on youth and the, and the teams coming through. And the reality is that if nothing had changed, it would be, a two, three-year transition before we were full, had that full youth team in the first team. And maybe this is just accelerated and maybe the plan is, you know what, they're all in from August. 
get rid of the rest, cut the wage bill, get to get get the business under control from a wage structure point of view, and and and, and use coronavirus as an excuse to do it. No one's going to say anything. It's, it's the catalyst, right? It's the absolute catalyst, and, and just shred the wage bill, build up some cash reserves, and have a five year plan. It's I, so, we've done it before. Yeah, you know, um, it. I think I think the interesting thing about uh, Obama Ying's dad coming out and saying that is, what does it say about the scenario right now? Like Obama Ying is one of the hottest strikers on the planet. He would improve Liverpool. He would improve Chelsea, Manchester City, Juventus. And the gist of the Spanish reports right now is that he's pissed off that nobody's coming for him. So it's like Arsenal, you'd be staggered if Arsenal got themselves stuck in another 350 grand a week conundrum during coronavirus. I mean, I love Aubameyang, but he's 31 years old. That is not peak time for a, a striker. So, I mean, it's perfect. The coronavirus is perfect because we could get him on the cheap. And yeah. he, might have, he might have to take a pay cut to stay. <laughs> yeah. It's uh, all, all those players that are, that sat on their deal are now going to be panicked. Into I mean, it's interesting as well. Arsenal were very close to are very close to signing um, William. Um, he'll be thirty two by the time he comes to Arsenal. But you know, he, they didn't want to. Yeah, they didn't want to talk about speculation. But like, would would our, I think he earns one hundred and twenty eight thousand a week at Chelsea? Are we really going to load up with thirty one year olds on massive contracts again during a moment where you're asking people to take pay cuts? I mean, it seems mad. I've got a horrible feeling. The Irish Kia, what's his name? Jurabchin. Yeah, Jurabchin. Yeah. You know he's coming, and you know, yeah, and you know he's going to make no impact. And you know it's going to be really expensive, and it's just the cost of doing business. I, I, but Matt, you're right. There, there are not going to be three hundred thousand quid a week deals and hundred million pound transfer fees anymore. That's that's done for at least two to three years, if not longer. And I think as a result of that, I think where we end up ironically, will be that these players will stay because they won't get that bump elsewhere. Now, they may, they may get a bump from us, and I don't think they're going to get the, the 300 odd. Um, but he might get a... The other thing I think that's actually more practical that may happen around a lot of this, and this remains to be seen, especially around how the leagues end up running all their seasons and the transfer windows are affected, is that we'll just do one-year extensions. As they are, for now, and everything kind of kick, kick the can down the road, delay the problem, and figure it out afterwards once we know more. It's um. So we we should shift on to the next topic, which is the shape of football, and um, when we come out of this back end. So I, I think the there are a few things at play when we come out of football. It's it, it's getting like the the overarching goal is to protect as many clubs uh, as possible, and bring the game under control and help clubs behave more like normal businesses and, you know, like building cash positions and, you know, not letting your, uh, you know, revenue be eaten up by wages to the tune of like 70 or I think it's 88% in, um, uh, with regards to Bournemouth. So how there's, there's a lot of speculation about what's going to happen, but a um, hundred million pound transfers, can't have. I mean, they were talking two hundred million for Harry Kane. Um, that's not going to happen now. Well, there's a the story yesterday that Neymar 
they're going to put on 650 grand a week. Yeah, but so I, 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 so the 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 rumblings that um, that we're hearing is that you know football clubs are going to speed up getting to some sort of like uh, agreement um, on transfers and on salaries because nobody's going to be able to sustain business. But how I just wondered if you had any thoughts like how do you get how do you get Tottenham to agree that Harry Kane is now a fifty million pound player because it, you, you know you can get businesses to agree to um, wage cuts if it's mandated, um, but how do you get the world of football to agree to limit transfers, to limit wages, and to kick super agents out of the game? Like, is is that a pipe dream? Two things. When I'd love to get your opinion on when do we think is going to be the next Premier League game in a full stadium? Do we think that is is uh, six months away, a year away, start of next season, two years away? When do like full pack stadium? Bill Gates we, says. Bill, Bill Gates said definitely no stadiums are going to be filled this year, and he's pretty good I at the. Yeah, but then I've used Windows before, and it doesn't really work. So um, the I think it'll be the back end of this year. I really do. Um, I think they will figure out a way to get people into stadiums. It won't be full. Um, I can almost see a, um, a staged turn. So, you know, this week it's odd-numbered seats, and next week it's even-numbered seats, and they start to build it back up over time. But I think they'll find a way to get some crowds into grounds towards the end of the year in a, in a meaningful, safe way. The issue is getting legal more than it is once you're there right it's like the tube and the and the, you know buses and all that kind of stuff you're not going to stop people going to the pub like us because the tolly's going to be full matt when do you think so, the game when do you when can you next see yourself pint in hand raging uh whoever the player is mustafi probably signed the new deal i don't know right now it seems impossible to imagine it i, mean, I probably i think it's yeah, I guess it'll be towards at the end of the year, beginning of next year. Um, but it's a, it's really, it's hard to. Do you believe in a, Do you believe in trying to finish this season behind closed doors? I think it would be great because I think it's got to happen. I, I, I don't care about neutral venues. I just think find a way to play it and make it happen. I think it's also. I mean, I was trying to. Yeah, I think it's the best way to get people to observe quarantine. It's basically to have football on. I mean, can you imagine if we televise every game? Was it three? Is it? Oh, was it, oh wall to wall. What did I do? Was it? It's three, three games a day for 30 days. That would be so unbelievably epic, oh, wouldn't it? It's like the World Cup on step. It's better than the World Cup. I'd do that. Fuck it. Make every season like that and screw the World Cup. That's yeah, I, I will take the voluntary lockdown. <laughs> it would be incredible. So, uh, but, but back to the back to the point, the shape of football, like when we come out the back end, like regardless of when people get back into the stadium, if they don't get back into the stadium, uh, that's like, the, like Premier League clubs on average um, will lose 14% of, of their revenue, which is a massive... I, I think it's worse than that. I, mean, I think people think... Once things go back to normal, everything's back to We're not. We're going to have a global recession for potentially 12 to 18 months. We're due one anyway. It happens every 10 to 12 years. 
Uh, and that has a material impact. It's not just on people going into the grounds, but it's just people selling, you know, people buying shirts, people, you know, oh, fuck me, I went to the armory. That was a painful mistake. Um, it's all of that stuff, you know, it's the selling the lager and the burgers. It's the, um, it's the broader stuff. It's the away travel, the away fans. It's the competition money. It's the sponsorship that dries up as a result of it all. So, you but, but what, uh, if we are, lose, are Budweiser going to Budweiser going to pay us as much to carry their beer in the ground and put their advertising hoardings up? Well, I suspect and, that maybe that's this kick deal. I suspect maybe you could offset some of um, some of that with uh, with greater TV revenues. If everybody's stuck in the house, you're probably going to get more eyeballs. But you know, just at, at a base level, fourteen percent. The, the, um, the TV companies have already taken a hit. So, for example, certain things have already been cancelled, right? If you run a sports broadcast, if you're Sky Sports right now, and uh, you've lost, I don't know, just for the sake of argument. Half a dozen rugby internationals because they've just said, "Well, we're not going to." Well, hang on. Wimbledon's been cancelled, and the Masters has been cancelled. We've already lost that money. That's not coming back. So the idea that the broadcasters are only reliant on football—yes, it is their primary driver—but they've lost all their tier two and tier three revenues. So the impact on football is even greater. And all of a sudden, football being back on TV doesn't mean that NatWest Bank or Adidas or whoever else it is is going to pay double for their ad slots or that the Sky subscription is going to go up an extra 10 quid a month because, oh shit, sorry, didn't have any golf at the moment, therefore uh, we're going to charge you more for footy. So uh, I think it's a bigger problem than the revenue, the match day revenues and the broadcast revenue. It's just that the whole industry is going to have to compress and it's not just football that's affected by it, it's other sports as well. Now football is at the top of that pyramid but it's going to actually be disproportionately affected as a as a result of that. So, what are we? You know, like, what, what do you think the the football club? So, do you think the the um, the added pressure um, and the outsized impact that this coronavirus is going to have on the game? Do you think the um, you know fear fear of death has a great way of sharpening the mind? Do you think the clubs will just come together and agree? We're going to cut super agents out of the game. We're going to reduce salaries and we're going to cap it. And there's going to be a transfer budget cap. I think it's going to be the same as, as, as business in general, which is people are going to look to uh, people who have got big cash reserves are going to look to exploit people who haven't. Uh, you're going to look at this as a chance to kill off weak people, weak businesses. It's capitalism. No one is looking at this as an opportunity to all come together for the greater good. It, who can come out of this stronger? Uh, I, okay. I agree. It's going, to be, it's going to be a true capitalist thing. Going to be like, people are going to go, are there clubs with players who are, need us, need us, who, who we can put small offers in to lure players because their business won't survive? You know, it's going to be the worst. To the worst, not the best. So, so, yeah, so I, I don't agree. I, I, I can't. I, I think the clubs are going to come to a unified agreement because how many clubs can behave like predators in this environment? Um, because like, all, all, like, it, it isn't just um, you know these billionaires. Apart from the Saudis at Newcastle, these billionaires are feeling the heat as well. Like, I don't think this is an opportunity. You know, if you, your portfolio has been absolutely ravaged. You know, whether you're Roman Abramovich and your you know your energy interests are through the floor. Here's a realistic scenario, right? He, okay, we do nothing, right? 
we go into we don't and I don't think there's going to be any protectionist measures voted for by the clubs. The clubs, the rich ones, the, the whether it is Newcastle or not, but the Chelsea's of the world, the Man Cities of the world, the PSGs of the world, they're like, well, screw it. This is the opportunity to get rid of the weak. Let's start the European Super League. To break away and make even more money, but getting rid of getting rid of the weak, this, this, bit, no, but it destroys it destroys the game. Do I don't. Yeah, uh, but do you think the fans not, would tolerate that? They don't give a shit. I don't know. I, I I just I think the I think the football clubs that I think the you know ninety eight percent of football clubs cannot be predators in this environment, and the two percent of clubs that can be. I think it would reflect so badly if they behave like predators. I don't think that they'd want to go there. I think everybody will want to be seen as coming together because if the game gets even more unfair than it already is right now, I think that football will start losing its audience. This is my final word before I have to run off, but would it be fair if we heard that Tottenham were having massive financial worries, they were potentially going to go out of business, but there was an opportunity to get Harry Kane for a cut price fee to keep them alive. You know, we would, we would love to put Spurs out of business. We would love to see them. Oh, we, we would, but would it like? Would we like? Would we really? It's like it's like back in the day. Did you did you ever really want to see Spurs relegated? Then you lose that game. That's an away day that you've lost. I don't think you really you want them to feel pain. Hundred percent want to see them relegated. No, come on! I never wanted to see them relegated. Teetering. It's fine. Like, do I want them to go out of business? The answer is no, of course not. But I don't want to see anyone go out of business. I don't think you ever want to see the death penalty. You want to see the suffering. This is the world we live in. We have we believe in a political system and an economic system that's delivered us where we are. And sports clubs have become businesses. They're no longer community-driven sports entities. And the reality is that's what business is about these days. And if those who have see an opportunity to have more, I am fairly convinced that they will take it. Well, you guys are depressing. You are. You've been in. You've both been in New York so long that you you've got no. You've got no empathy. You've got like, lost that community vibe. Um, right. Well, I'm not, no, no, I'm not saying I want that. I'm saying that's what you think is going to happen. Can see, I can see that happening. Okay. Um, I'm. We're going to have to wrap up because my phone is dying and I actually can't see um, because I haven't been able to turn the light on. Um, just quick predictions before we go because we can't predict scores. Uh, which which month are we coming back, guys? And I'm going to hold you to this. I think we will complete the season by the end of July. Um, what shape or form that takes, I don't know. But I think the season will be concluded, um, even if it's just to sort out the top four and the bottom three. I don't know. But I think um, I think we will see a game being played on television on the 1st June. Matt, when's he coming back? Because Matt, Matt's had to drop off. He's already gone off. All right, I'm gonna yeah. say um, I'm gonna say we're gonna restart the game June fifteenth. Oh, all right. I'm optimist. I'm an optimist. I feel like Boris Johnson needs a uh, uh, you know something positive happening over there in the in the UK government. I think he'd love to get football back on. Yeah, it's the challenge for him is. You'd almost want something else to go first, right? This is the problem with the mid-season issue. It's easier if you're delaying the season, like cricket or whatever else it might be. But uh, 
Actually, I'm sure we'd want county cricket to start now because 300 people go to a game, so that worked well. Yeah, you do, you, I, I'm just a little bit worried because uh, Macron has uh, said that French football can't come back until September, and you, you know, I, I feel like they're all just following each other now, uh, like with regards to um, you know when things can come back on, so that you know they don't want to be the one that, the, the, like you say, they'll be the the person that went first and then caused another hey, spike. Uh, and by the way, I think I think the UK has a tougher problem, right, in the sense that. Paris has two professional clubs. Marseille has one. Well, that's the top two cities taken care of. London has nine professional teams. Go to Manchester and see how many professional clubs there are there within a, you know, a ten mile, fifteen mile square radius. And like, shit, it's a lot of teams. Yeah, right? yeah. I think, I think we've got very, geographically much smaller country with way bigger problems to fix. I agree. Okay. All right. Well, Ash, thank you very much for joining. Matt, you're not here, but thank you for joining as well. Um, And let's hope that the next time we come on, hopefully next week, uh, there will be uh, some better news. Brilliant. Thanks for for joining. Ciao for now. Cheers, mate. I'm Will Coleman, founder and CEO of Alto, and I built Alto to put an end to rideshare horror stories. You're used to the total lack of consistency in rideshare. Maybe it's a smelly car or a driver that asks just one too many personal questions. Not anymore. With Alto, you know exactly what to expect every ride. Every Alto driver is a trained Alto employee, and every Alto vehicle is part of our private fleet of luxury SUVs. Say goodbye to rideshare horror stories. Download the Alto app today and use code FOUNDER for $10 off your first ride. Sports Social Podcast Network. With lucky landslots, you can get lucky just about anywhere. Dearly beloved, we are gathered here today to... Has anyone seen the bride and groom? Sorry, sorry, we're here. We were getting lucky in the limo and we lost track of time. No, Lucky Land Casino, with cash prizes that add up quicker than a guest registry. In that case, I pronounce you lucky. Play for free at LuckyLandSlots.com. Daily bonuses are waiting. No purchase necessary. Void were prohibited by law. 18 plus. Terms and conditions apply. See website for details.